Well, hello, and welcome to the Scripts and Scribes live stream show, episode number five. We're here today to talk about an important subject, which is diversity in Hollywood. Um, it's sort of a departure from our normal schedule of sort of general writer-centric themes and topics, but this is really important, um, and it's an important subject for all writers. Uh, and we're joined by three uh, illustrious guests. Um, so today we have on the vice chair of the WGA's Latino Writers Committee and the uh, graduate of Fox Writers Intensive and a writer on APB, Jorge Rivera. Thank you for joining us today, Jorge. Um, Hello. Thank you for having me. And also joining us today, uh, a Scripps and Scrubs first timer, but hopefully the first of many appearances, uh, is the co-chair of the WGA's Committee of Black Writers. He's also the host of two of his uh, podcasts, Screenwriters Rant Room and the official WGA podcast, uh, Third and Fairfax. And he's a writer on Sci-Fi's Deadly Class, uh, Hilliard Guest. Thanks for coming on, Hilliard. What's up, what's up, what's up? And, and uh, this is the last time. I'm not coming back. I'm done. Uh, we're, we're going to drag you back if we have to, right? Uh -huh. Thanks for having me, Gabe. And finally, a writer-producer who I can say I actually knew her when, back in the day when she was David Shore's assistant, um, but she has gone on to write and produce shows such as Chicago Fire, Hawaii Five, Five O, uh, and The Rookie. She's also the co-founder of Hashtag Pay Up Hollywood, the former champion of the WGA Staffing Boost Grid, and a member of the WGA's Board of Directors. She does more good in the world before 8 a.m. than most of us mm -hmm. do all year. Liz Alper. Thanks for coming on, Liz. It's always great to see you. Yeah. Yay. I, I forgot that we knew each other when. We Only, knew each other. I, I did know that. It's just. She's already forgetting the little people. Right, exactly. <laughs> That's what happened. Oh, Liz. Uh, no, uh, you did your, um, your first episode of Chicago Fire. You were looking for a venue, and I helped you get a venue to screen it. And yeah, and I came to see it with you. So, yeah, no, that was awesome. So, I remember that. I swear to God, I remember that. <laughs> now that you mention it, yeah, I'm, I'm totally teasing. Uh, it's totally fine. Um, uh, before we get started, if you just do us a favor and hit that thumbs up button if you're watching on YouTube, um, but if you're listening to the audio version of the podcast on Spotify or wherever, um, just maybe give a thumbs up to the person in the car next to you. I don't know how that works. Um, but let's start talking about um, diversity in, in Hollywood. Uh, it's obviously something that's prescient, something it's incredibly important. Uh, but it's something that obviously needs, uh, a lot of work. Um, so, but I think it's important to discuss because when you mention diversity, quote unquote diversity, a lot of people just automatically think affirmative action or some cause of the moment PR or sort of virtue signaling by s networks and studios, um, but I, I wanted to discuss maybe sort of on a macro sense, what's the state of diversity in Hollywood since you guys are all working in it and since you guys are all, uh, you know, part of diversity committees or at least in, in Liz's uh, part, you know, part of the board of directors of the WGA. What's the state of diversity in the industry? And then we can get on to sort of where are we headed, where do we want to be, what can we do, and then maybe even offer some practical advice to those uh, diverse writers out there who, you know, other than fellowships and, um, you know, uh, different specific groups, um, networking groups and things, what can sort of diverse writers do to, uh, you know, improve their um, 
odds and improve their their uh, opportunities. Um, Kev, I just want to say, just because of, I'm I'm a climate person, I talk about this a lot on my show. And mm-hmm. I'm always talking about the climate, and because of what just happened this week, yeah, I feel like I feel like Liz should start this part, sure, because it's so current. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not saying we can't speak to it, but you know, I definitely think it's you should you should speak on this first. No, thank so, you, for sure. Okay, that's enough. Now. <laughs> saying that no i'm smiling and i'm i'm also just seething with rage and i've been so angry this week you guys like i've just been i've been hiding under my covers i've been kind of wrestling with this i have um i have an older mom who's back in new england and i i texted my dad just saying like you know don't don't let mom go outside alone and they texted back, like, well, you know, you know, you're pretty safe. Like, it's okay. You take care. And I was like, no, no, you don't get it. You don't get it. I love you. I love you so much. But you run across the wrong person. Hmm. You run across the wrong person. And, and you know. It just takes one, right? Yeah. It, that's all it takes. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. It's, it's, it's the individual versus the communities. You know, I'm, we can't ever pin the shortcomings of one person on an entire the entire community that they might belong to um but at the same time you know those individuals still exist and they're still they're still out there and that's that's the thing that i worry about um but kevin to to kind of answer your question i think we're in we're in a very interesting place um i say that not as as a positive or negative indication where diversity is something that everyone is talking about inclusion is not necessarily on the table Mm. and that's that's the big part where you know i think especially right now we're seeing studios who are who are putting people in front of the camera that aren't white you know casting black actors asian actors I think we still have a ways to go with Latinx representation and indigenous representation. Um, and especially we have a major way to go with, you know, disabled people, um, especially non-white disabled people. Cause think of the last time that you saw someone who was actually disabled, actually a non-white person, a uh, non-white actor on screen. You know, I don't, I don't know if we ever have quite honestly. Um, and I think there's there's a lot to be said for what we're seeing on camera and a lot to be said for what we're not seeing behind the camera. We're not seeing voices included. We're not seeing people, you know, having their careers invested in. We're seeing people hired to positions where they're ultimately going to fail because they haven't been given the proper training. They haven't been given the proper advice. Um, they're expected to, you know, hey, you have your chance, now wow us. As opposed to what, you know, typical execs or writers or department heads um, are given, which is which is experience and communication and, and you know, a seat at the table. So right now we're, we're still in a time where everything is just very shallow. It's, it's very much on the surface rather than looking to dig deep into the foundation um, 
and and tear it up and lay down some some new tiles yeah 100 percent um i i'd like to piggyback on that and and also i think for myself and for my colleagues i think also i just i think it's behooves us to mention that we're here as individuals and not necessarily representatives of the guild like Mm -hmm. these are our own opinions so i just want to say that up top but uh I, I agree. I think that there's been a clarion call across not just the industry, but across the nation to, that we have these systemic problems and cultural problems that have always been there and uh, have been, uh, to our detriment, been encouraged uh, over the last four years by people in power. Uh, and so, you know, we're at this sort of fulcrum where, like, the perpetrators of these attitudes feel empowered and have feel like they have a platform. And we are also at a point where we're just fed up and we're just not going to take it anymore. And so, like, I think there is a legitimately uh, interested movement within the industry, I think, on some levels to really try. But I, I think those people who are in positions of power to make those decisions and changes don't really know how to do it uh, as fully as Liz is describing and as fully as I think it need, we all know and they need to be. Like, I, I honestly, I feel like one of the biggest bottlenecks for us in this industry is that there really aren't enough people in decision-making powers who really understand what needs to happen, who are of the cultures that need to, who need to be represented you know, and all of the categories, we're talking, you know, all of the underrepresented groups, there just aren't enough decision makers, executives with green light power, development executives, you know, um, studio heads, network heads that really understand it. There just are not enough of them. There are some really great voices that are trying, but they get squashed by the majority or it takes a lot of effort and energy to, to educate people on things that we all know because we live them. Right. Uh, and, and that for me is the biggest bottleneck. And I don't, I'm not quite sure what to do about that. I think there's a lot of effort or has been for years, a lot of effort to create a pipeline for underrepresented writers. Uh, and, and there needs to be more of them, obviously, in better and more powerful positions. You know, there's a lot of us toiling down in the lower levels and in the middle. And it needs to be more of them on, again, in decision-making powers in, in the writer's room. But I feel like there's at least a, an effort to make a pipeline. Like there are all these fellowship programs, which are great. And, you know, they, they're not perfect. And there are some some real criticisms about them that are valid. But they also do have some results. I, I'm the product of one of one of a few of them. So... My point is, is that I think there's this pipeline and this effort on that lever level, but I don't know or see it on an executive level. And I think that is super important. Like the more effort we put there to create a pipeline of people who under, understand the changes that need to be made, the better we'll all be. But that's for me right now, the biggest roadblock. May I, may I um, expand on that just a little bit? Yeah, please. Um, yes, okay. and, please. And... <laughs> Uh, Kev, you know, you know, all you guys know me. I, I just keep it real. I'm just that dude. So, um, so forgive me if I curse. <laughs> <laughs> I treat this shit like we're in the writers' room. So I don't. I don't know. Um, so here's the deal. That 
I love what you just said. That was uh, first of all, thank you for what you said, Liz. And I love what you said, Jorge. But to piggyback off of that piece you were just talking about, um, hey Kev, I hear you typing. I'll be typing when I'm talking. By the way, I'm a grown ass <laughs> man. You know, <laughs> I'm kidding. So the thing is this. Um, here's the problem I have with all of these, you know, studios and networks and everybody, and you know, starting to put together these programs for us. What they do is they put together programs for us at the bottom. Yeah. Right. So that is, guess what? Where we stay. Right. They don't see us any other place. They still always see us as coming in. You know, that that beginner, that person, we can help them write their scripts better. We can help them, you know, become a junior assistant, you know, whatever it is. I'm like, no, bitch. No, there are plenty of people who have already passed that situation. We need to go out and find mm -hmm. them and make them be the uh, uh, the executives. And ex they have the experience. You know what I mean? Even some of those junior assistants have been that for years. They know what's going down. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? They just haven't been moved up, you yeah. know? And so that is the big issue. So the, the, to, to talk about your diversity thing, Kev, I know we've been talking for all, for a minute. <clears throat> um, as you guys know, we put out the Dear Hollywood letter, the Committee of Black Writers letter last year. And in the end, we basically asked for Hollywood, you know, stop saying that we don't exist. Now, we were only talking to the black community at the time, but I think we all know it, it encompasses everybody, right? The people of color, BIPOC people or whatever. <clears throat> and people ask me all the time, that was June 12th, I think you put that out last year. And here we are, you know, March, you know, whatever, the 20th or whatever. And I don't think we've heard from any studios, networks, you know, whatsoever, right? And that shit went viral. Here's the thing that did happen was a lot of showrunners reached out to us, right? So they were the ones going, well, fuck it, well, if they're not gonna help you, we will, you know? And we all know it starts with them anyway, you know? So I think it, it did balance itself a little bit. What I did see change, you were asking Kev was, and I'm sure we all, you know, busy at the Guild, we all know most of the same people. I did see a lot more of my friends and our friends get some overalls, hmm. you know? How long, what I always say, because I'm just a skeptic anyway, <laughs> is let's see what happens in two years. Yeah. You know, when that contract is over, <laughs> will they renew it? Will some of those projects make, to, make it to the screen? You know what I mean? Or will they just go, you know what, let's buy them out for $350,000 and, you know, we'll put them over there. It doesn't phase them at all to do that, by the way. Mm -hmm. People think it does. No, it doesn't. And <laughs> they'll write that shit <laughs> off, right? So I'm like, I want to see, are we going to see some actual actions? You know, are we really going to see something change? So forgive me for, you know, being Mr. Negative about it. I don't mean to be negative. I'm just, I'm just yeah. real about it. So. No, it's the real deal. Uh, you know, that, you know, it's, it's all theater until we see some stuff happen, you know. And it has to happen on every level. Like, I, I agree with you, Hilliard. I didn't mean to say that, that the pipeline was the only way in. Like, mm. like you know, it has to happen on every level. Like, the lower mids and upper in the writer's room, but also the executives, man. Like, you know, that's, the, you know, the, the folks in power who, again, have the green light power to do the hiring. It's the same group of people. Or, you know, the people that I'm complaining about that I'm sort of f focusing on and saying are the ones making this the yays or nays for our shows are the same people f to a large extent who are saying yays and nays to who are hiring their colleagues uh, on the same level of power as them that, that don't represent that, you know, we don't have enough representation there. 
across the board. Like not just Latinx, I'm talking every every underrepresented group because that's until that happens. Like we're 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 just we're 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 beholden to the power to the key holders, and they're not they're not green lighting the shows the way we need them. I mean, how often do we get the line? Oh, we have our our one Asian comedy, we don't need another. Or we have our one Latinx drama, we don't need another. You know, like I personally know of at least three. Uh, really, really talented, high-level Latinx writers who got their shows thumbs, you know, tanked in the last couple, you know, pitches that they had. Several of them that were just like really phenomenal ideas that, in my mind, were like just like bulletproof. You know, like they were just they just get this thing made and put it on the air, and you've got an audience. And 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 so they say they want the content. They constantly say we want it, we want it, we want it. And when they have it in front of them, they have no idea what to do with it. Mm. Yeah, facts. And it's frustrating. Yeah, guys, can we also talk about because I want to hear your experiences with this when when we are quote unquote allowed to put a character yeah. of color in, in a script or in an episode um, or have a show that's that's centered around, you know, a black family, an Asian family, a Latinx family. Have you found that, especially with the studios, there seems to be a real like, well, can you make them more Asian? Like, can you make them yeah. more black? Right now, they just feel right. like people. I yeah. don't know that they're, they're Asian. <laughs> Guess what? <laughs> We're people. Yeah. But yeah, I love. I get. I get that note a lot. Like, like yeah. you know, like. Oh, sorry. Is that? That's me. Hang on. I'm gonna. I'm gonna... Is that the racism alarm? <laughs> <laughs> well, while he's waiting, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go yeah, ahead. Please. Um, so this is the interesting thing because um, I I deal with this a lot. Um, I'm out there writing, you know, creating shows for some pretty big white folks right now. <laughs> and it's fascinating to me. Like, um, me and my producing partner are creating this new show um, based on this number one book. And of course, the two black people in the movie live in the projects, you know? And so one of the things that we do, I love that you brought this up, Liz, <clears throat> is because um, we have to actually present our pitch to them on Wednesday. And one of the things that we did is in the story, it's like, you know, your typical projects and roaches and, you know, all that shit. And we're like, no, in the projects that we know, we go to our family's house, that should be lit. Mm -hmm. You know, that's it. Y'all know, you know, Jorge, when you go to the projects, we, we still make our shit be the best it is. People still drive the best cars in the hood. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I'm like, nope. Her shit is tight. It's lit up. You know what I mean? So we so we that's how we incorporate stuff. We still we're not gonna take it take them out of the projects because we don't want them out of projects and they got a house all of a sudden. That's not the character, you know? But you can find ways to incorporate the new the nuance to make it feel like, oh, but they're not all dirt poor. Yeah. You know? The characters yeah. are freaking uh, one of the high level nurses at the, at the at the big hospital. She got a couple dollars. Yeah. Her yeah. place would be tight. You know what I mean? So anyway, so it's like that's so we have our rebuttal for it, you mm -hmm. know, but we find ways to make sure that we layer in the nuance so that it still feels normal so that people see us not as fucking good times. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? And et cetera, et cetera. So I'm sorry. I told you I'd go off. That was, <laughs> that was the oppressor's alarm. Caught me talking shit about the oppressor. And they were busting my ass. I, I have, I have, I have, we have fire alarms that go off in our building for, for like no reason. Like we don't even respond to them anymore. We're gonna die in a fire one day because like, these alarms keep going off. It happens like on a weekly basis. So apologies if it happens again. I'm gonna mute. But yeah. If it happens again, maybe you should get the fuck out of the building. I'd be out in the street like every other day, like once a week. It happens. Yeah. 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 It's 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 yeah yeah. Anyway. Uh, yeah, to to that question and Hillier's point, like, uh, and and what Liz was saying, it's like, yeah, they they they. It's funny we they don't they don't they can't imagine uh, a a family from some underrepresented group just being like what every other family's like. Mm -hmm. Like, there, yes, we have our cultural differences mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. the things we do and the things we eat, the things we celebrate, and the music we have, and yes, that all exists. But I also grew up, you know, I grew up in Jersey City, New Jersey. I played basketball. I went to a Catholic, you know, grade school. I had mostly a lot of Anglo friends. Like, I watched The Incredible Hulk and Spider-Man and Star Trek on television when I was yeah. growing up. Like, I did the things that every other kid in America does, mm -hmm. in addition to being Latinx. And I, you know, I think they forget that. They forget that not only do they forget that in the stories we tell, but the stories they think we can tell. You know, like we don't get hired to do Star Trek or or things, you know, that aren't Latinx or aren't what a you know Asian focused or Black focused because they think we can only that that we that our views of the world are narrowed to just our cultures, which is super frustrating. Agreed. Yeah, it's, I had a note recently um, that oh, I, I got prefaced with I think the the execs I'm working on with my with uh, on my show right now are, are actually incredibly smart and like sensitive. <laughs> Sometimes they don't always hit, uh, and one of them was like, you know, it's it's a horror, it's a horror episode, and they were like, well, you know, like the horror. Can it have something to do with this person's culture? No, boy. You know, like the way that the horror is is hitting, can it can it be rooted to to his culture? And my answer was very much like, guys, you know, I I really hate it when <laughs> I have to justify culturally why I'm putting someone on screen. Like this is I this is a person who exists, if you walk out down the street, you'll probably run into him. Um, and, you know, slasher movies happen to white people all the time. I don't understand why, you know, I can't I can't have something supernaturally horrific happening to, to someone who just happens to be a person of color. You know, without having- But we just tend to run, that's all. Stuff. We run quick, so the movie, <laughs> that's all. <laughs> Cool world, we don't put exactly. ourselves in that situation. <laughs> like, like we, we hear a noise coming We're gone. from the basement. We're, We're not going to look at it. We're out of there. Yeah. Unless it's a fire alarm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's silly. I've used the example a couple times in the past, but it's one that I think sort of uh, encompasses what sort of you were mentioning. 
that I remember Eric LaSalle from ER mentioning that when he went in to read for Dr. Benton, he really went after that role hard. Like he came in in scrubs. He really, really wanted that role more than any he had uh, you know, been up for before. And the reason was that he said was because Dr. Benton was a doctor who happened to be black. He wasn't a black doctor, meaning, you know, he was a full-fledged three-dimensional character, not sort of a racial stereotype inserted just for the sake of having color on screen. And so for him, that was an important uh, statement. It was, it, was, it was important for him to play that role. He really wanted it. So I think that sort of ties into to what we're discussing here. Um, but I do want to just sort of take a, a, a segue <clears throat> to uh, a tweet that I had saw uh, a little while ago. Um, it was probably a few weeks ago from... Uh, oh, Liz, what did you do? No. <laughs> what did I do? Uh, it was from, do? It's from Say Chun, who said, Diversity programs for entry-level writing jobs in TV are great, but we also need studio mentorship programs that give mid- and upper-level yeah. um, uh, people of color, writers of color... Uh, the skills they need to run their own shows. And he goes on to say that the issue with only training people of color, writers of color for entry-level positions, i.e. the fellowships, um, there's a documented bottleneck for diverse writers in the mid-levels. It creates a bias where Hollywood equates diversity with entry level. Um, This affects everything from the job studios consider you for to the money you'll make uh, from your deal. Uh, Things are changing for the better and there are lots of showrunners, diverse or not, trying to help but the first step is to make Hollywood stop assuming that diverse writers are less experienced and less qualified to run their own shows. And I would add that that equates to mid-level writers as well. I know a lot of writers who have gone through the fellowships or diverse writers who have gotten their first jobs that find it incredibly difficult to get the second job or the third job yeah. uh, or being asked to do, you know, to staff uh, at the staff level writer again for a second time or a third time, you know, all these types of things. Um, uh, you know, maybe the, you guys could, could speak to that in terms of your own experiences, what you've seen or experienced. Can I jump you guys speak I, first because I'm going to try and see oh, go ahead, go my ahead. computer video now, now that my computer's finally restarted. Okay. <laughs> it took it 90 minutes, girl. <laughs> I, I know. Piece of shit. Hate it. Okay, so why don't we um, start oh, with... I'll speak, I'll speak. Yeah. Yeah, 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 go for it. So I thought we were waiting for Liz to speak. I apologize. Okay. So, <laughs> so I'm asked a lot. Uh, because of the position that I'm in hmm. at the Writers Guild. Um, and I'm also the co-chair of the Education Committee. Oh, <clears throat> So I'm in there with a couple other big showrunners. So I'm asked by some of them, you know, for the showrunners program, you know, I get the call going, hey, give us some thoughts on how we could proceed, you know, in this climate, because they, they know I'm a client person. And so one of the things that I talked about was, and I must have gave them an hour and a half of notes, right? One of the things I gave them was this. I said, stop. This is exactly what you're talking about from the, from the tweet. I said, stop writing us so that we are supporting characters in your series or your movies or whatever, and we don't go home with you. If you don't go home with somebody, right, you don't tend to see how they actually live, right, mm-hmm. who they actually are, right? So you don't get a sense that they are just as normal as you are, as, as, as opposed to just being on your law show or your cop show, you're just the cop, 
You know what I mean? You're just the cop of the attitude or the just the whatever. But now you go home and you walk in and there is your your husband and you happen to be a man. And there's no discussion about it. It's like little nuances that you can do that will bring you into the world so the world goes, oh, that was normal. Yeah. As opposed to it being an episode about how he fucking comes out. You know what I mean? We're past that now. Yeah. yeah. You know, that for me is an example of of whether they're a black character or a gay character or whatever that you can do is just go home and see their lives. Hmm. You know, how they live and they have issues too. It doesn't mean it's perfect when you go home. You know what I mean? But give them some some issues, some problems with their child or whatever the thing is. You know what I mean? That's that's what you, we usually go home with the hero, you know, who's 99% white, you know, and we feel and support them. And the other person is just a person at the job, the law firm, the, 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 the fire department or whatever the hell it is. And that to me is where you can start to change, you know? So that's my teacher. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Welcome. Welcome back. That's better, Liz. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, people have commented in the, the chat. That's better, Liz. Great. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I actually did want to throw out one thing just because, Kevin, you you brought up the mid-level thing. And this is something that I always try and bring up in any panel that I'm in because right now, in general, mm -hmm. as writers, we're facing an issue with the mid-level. It's a disappearing um, mid-level. Right now, what we're facing are smaller rooms, smaller budgets, so usually what you'll see now um, with these, especially with shorter order uh, TV shows and seasons, you'll see a couple of people at the top at co-EP level. And then maybe you'll have a few story editors, staff writers at the bottom. This leads to two problems. It means that there is now, um, there's now a bottleneck at the mid level where writers of color and under from underrepresented groups cannot make it through to an upper level position and are being are basically stuck at the gate towards mid-level because those positions are few and far between period and it also means that you are seeing a huge gathering of lower level writers especially BIPOC and underrepresented group writers um, who are having to repeat story editor, ESE, staff writer, multiple times. And it's ba basically doing two things. It's making sure that we don't have any new talent who is actually being trained to take over their new show and trained to step into a leadership position at the uh, upper level. And it's also basically saying that we're not really bringing in a whole lot of new staff writers. Um, we're not bringing in a whole a whole bunch of new blood because if you if you have the choice between someone who's been a staff writer three or four times or someone who's never been a staff writer before it's kind of easy who you're going to choose sure. right you know because you're basically getting a producer for staff writer you know fees and that's something that we need to fix. And that's something that the studios need to address because they can't keep shrinking these writer budgets. Mm -hmm. Like they need to actually start giving writers, you know, giving shows more money. Yeah. Um, everybody, everyone's pictures just disappeared. So I hope that I'm still coming through. Okay. No, you're, you're still there. And, and to, okay. to pay, just to piggyback on that a little bit at, at a time, Liz, when the studios are making record profits, 
exactly. record profit. Like, like they got the money. It ain't like they're hurting for the cash. They're just no. like just shrinking because they just want to increase that, that that profit margin for them. And it's ultimately yeah. going to be to their detriment. Yeah. And they I won't, they won't feel it for a while, but they, but we're feeling it right now. Right. And I wanted to, to add on to what Liz was saying in terms of this bottleneck, because I talked to a lot of lit reps and I uh, obviously hear from a lot of writers across the spectrum and a lot of a number of writers, I should say, not a lot, but a number of writers, specifically white male writers, complain that it's sort of reverse racism, you know, uh, diversity initiatives and things, because it makes it fun. harder for them to break in. But what I'm going to throw in here is that what someone else told me, I, I think it was Jay Holtham, but I'm not 100% sure, that it's not that there is a lack of white male writers in the industry. In fact, there's a huge abundance of them. They just happen to be very top heavy. They're all in the showrunner positions. They're all in the mm -hmm. upper level positions. And so, especially when you're talking about what Liz was talking about, when there are fewer and fewer mid-level positions and um, diverse writers cannot move or have a difficult time moving from lower level to mid-level, that means they're all bunched up at the lower level positions, which means, is it harder for a white male writer to break in? <clears throat> Possibly, but that's more due to what they had mentioned to me that it's it's your spot is not being taken by a diverse writer at the entry level. Your spot is already taken by all the upper level white male writers, I, you know, yeah. that are that are can, in can, the can industry. Can I say something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When 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 you're treated with privilege all your life, equality feels like oppression. Sure. There you go. And that's Let what's me... happening. And those guys can go. I'm going to try to, I'm going to withhold what I'm going to say, but they could, they could, they, be, they, 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 they could screw off because honestly, the data does not bear that out. Like they're still getting hired above all the upper represented groups. Right. Like the data does not bear that out. The data bears out that, that white males are 60% or white, the white community is 60% of the U S population. And they're still getting hired right. as of last year above that percentage. So, you know, things are changing and more BIPOC people and underrepresented groups are getting hired, but they're still getting hired pretty, pretty at a pretty like healthy rate. So right. too bad. May, may make, I interject? Make room. Yes, please. May I interject? So here's the interesting thing. I love what Liz was just saying there. For those of you who never heard that, she explained it 100% correct. Here's the thing I'll add to that is this. Um, and all of us get this, you know, we're all on leaders in the, in the Writers Guild, if you will. So we're all sent, you know, showrunners are hitting us all the, I get an email at least eh, every other week from a showrunner going, Hey, Hillary, I'm looking for, you know, a black female who's great with this thing. 99% of the time, guess what it is? Staff writer or co-EP? Hmm. 99% of the time. So Liz is correct. That whole five other, you know, rungs that you missed are gone, right? So how do you ever go from here to here? Well, you get to story editor and you never fucking work again. That's how, right? So, and there's a, one more thing I want to talk about is this. <clears throat> so we've been saying this on the black committee for maybe about five or six years now. This is, this is going to be a little controversial, but I'm going to tell it because it's just who I am. <laughs> so, <laughs> shut up, bitches. So <laughs> think about this. This is what we figured out. And this is why it's so heavy in our opinion. Now we're talking about white, straight, cis males most of the time, right? 
this is why it's so heavy with them. White folks get opportunities because of their potential, hmm. right? We get an opportunity based on our resume. So here's where the problem is. <clears throat> so we're talking about all these programs that they're trying to do and how we need to have mid-level stuff. Here's why the mid-level position is so important. This is 2021. Not, I'd say probably more than half of us have made seven or eight short films and a couple of documentaries and music videos and all that shit by the time you even get to staff writer, right? So those staff writers who were 20 years ago came in as a staff writer and had to work their way up. We're so ahead of them. So fucking ahead of them. You know, I'm going to be honest. When I came on one of my shows, I was way ahead of the co-EPs. They had no idea how to do stuff. I was like, y'all don't even know how to do posts? What the fuck? You know what I mean? It was crazy to me. And so it's it's an interesting thing that I think that's who we should be looking for, for that mid-level area, as opposed to somebody who just came up through the staffing seat, the staffing situation. I think we should be looking for those filmmakers who came from the indie world who were trying to move in, who are already ready, who some of us can run our own show with the right team. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so that is to me when I hear, oh, they don't have the experience. I'm like, bitch, they know more than you do sometimes because they've made product. They've won things at Sundance. They've done whatever. And I'm saying they because I'm talking about me, bitch. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I'm being real with you. Like there's not a lot of respect for it because they think that it's on a small scale. The only thing that's different is the turnaround is faster and the budget goes up, <laughs> you know? For me, that's what I've seen. And I've done things up to almost a million dollars. And that's what I've seen is the only thing that changes is more people. You know what I mean? The turnaround's faster. It is still the same shit. I'm still on a set. We got honey wagons and stuff too. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's all there. So don't tell me I can't fucking produce a freaking episode of network TV. I know how to do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I'm sorry, I, I get off on the high horse about that. But that's what's missing to me. No, I think that's that's exactly right, Hilliard. I'm just gonna piggyback on that because one thing that that pisses me off about the the program that the studios do, because I I think one of the best things that they do is they introduce they give chances to people who you know wouldn't have gotten it before. At the same time, it's creating a narrative that we have to be the cream of the crop. We have to be better than everybody else. You look, you walk into a writer's room and and the immediate reaction is your eyes land on the person of color and you go, oh, they must have been, they must have had to be really good. That part. To get in here. Yep. You know what I mean? You might see someone who is the same level, who is cis, white, you know, male, and just go, oh, maybe he was an assistant. You know, it's so great that they're giving him an opportunity. <laughs> And then the narrative changes when you see that person, that yeah. person of color, because you're like, oh, they must have really had to have been good to get into to this room. And that's the narrative that I hate because all I've ever wanted to be in my career is like mediocre. I just <laughs> make mediocre white yeah. men. Well, because that's it's a lot of fucking money, you guys. Yeah, the converse the to that, Liz, is that you encounter so yeah. many people who have failed upwards yeah to be honest i've come across some people and i'm like and i've read the read them or whatever and i'm just like shocked like, like how did you even get this job right. like how are you like god bless you you're a good person you know everyone 
I'm not going to stand in anybody's way, uh, whatever, but, you know, but like just sometimes I'm just really shocked to find the converse because you're right. We have to be like perfect. We cannot fuck up. We have our, our scripts have to be like, like stellar. We have to blow them away. In order to get, yes. you have to blow them away. We have that level of excellence that we have to uh, achieve in order to, to get hired and there are a lot of mediocre writers uh, who are not from underrepresented groups that, you know, get hired because their friend is the showrunner or whatever. And, um, yeah. you know, which it's frustrating, super frustrating. Which, which is, I'm glad you said that you're talking about the mediocre writers who are, you know, brought in by their, by their showrunner friends. <clears throat> That's why for me, when people always ask me, like, how do I, you know, my hustle is so strong and how do I survive and do I ever worry about, you know, imposter syndrome and stuff like that. I'm like, no, because that that's what I know is that the guy, the girl next to me probably got there because they're homeboys, whatever, whatever. And so that doesn't mean they're better than me. You know what I mean? They don't, that doesn't mean that. And so until I read them or, or, or spend more time around them, I'm going to judge them based on that. I'm going to be yeah. like, well, they probably, because I know me, a lot of my friends I bring in to do projects because they're my friends. Mm-hmm. They do the same thing. They just on a bigger scale. You know what I mean? So I understand why it is, but it doesn't mean they're better than me. But they think they are because they got there. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's the problem. Is there... No, I was just going to say, is there... How many stories have... Oh, go ahead, Kevin. Sorry. Go go ahead, Liz. Go ahead. I was just going to say, how many stories have we heard of people who have come in, white men who have come in at the co-EP level, simply because, you know, they were friends with the... Yeah. You know, with the showrunner. Like, they might have had one credit. Right previously all the time (laughs) right where can we sign up for that and and, 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 and (laughs) to to your to your to your point about like being feeling really strong about your 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 skill set and everything honestly like this whole thing is so tough on me psychologically and i think Mm -hmm. this is something that a lot of people experience people of color people from underrepresented groups I, i actually do struggle a lot with imposter syndrome until I read somebody's shitty script who's getting made into a pilot, and I'm like, what the fuck? I am 10 times better than the show that's getting made on the mm-hmm. shitty, like, and, and then and then I remember that I'm, then so reading all these crappy scripts that get made into pilots is really helpful. But it but it's it's tough, man. It's tough psychologically because we do, our health is such a different standard that it's so hard to, like, continue to be, have faith in the process and in yourself and in your work. And it's hard, man. It's, I have to admit, like, it's really tough. Uh, you know, I ultimately prevail and for the most part, feel really good about my skill set and my, my ability. But, you know, there are these moments where I just like get really beat up psychologically because of just how hard it all is. For sure. That's yeah, a real if thing. you ever want to get rid of yeah. imposter syndrome, become a studio or agency reader and read i mean i've done it and it it is brutal and these scripts coming in they come from agencies they come from uh you know production companies some of them were bought uh and you're just reading this stuff and you're like wow and it's not to you know to say you have to have an ego saying oh i'm better than this but you read some of the stuff coming through and you're like how did this person get an agent how did this sell or how did this get sent out in the court in the format that it is it needs to be rewritten yeah. That kind of stuff. <laughs> you, you need to help. You need to maintain a healthy sense of confidence and 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 just just on the verge of of 
I like to call it just just on the verge of arrogance just to, to survive like mm-hmm. you know not crossing that line but like you kind of have to like really like be your best advocate right. psychologically you know and, and that doesn't mean shitting on people but it does mean like to the point where like you've got to have you've got to maintain some swagger for yourself just to maintain your own mental health and, and to feel good about yourself but also to project like confidence to the people who you've got to convince that you're up for the job and sometimes it's, it feels like a lot of work just to maintain it's, that level it's it's funny because yeah. i've watched a lot of my you know friends who i mean i've been in this business since i'm 12 years old i'm 50 years old you know and brother just pretty don't tell me that um <laughs> <laughs> shut up liz um <laughs> and so and so the interesting thing for me is i've watched so many of my for what i was i'm a former actor triple threat i've watched a lot of my actor friends you know become huge stars i've watched you know, my writer friends become big stars. Lena, I've watched, you know, Ben Corey Jones and all these people just go boom, like way past, you know, me, you know what I mean? And and what they had was this exact thing that we're yeah. all talking about. Yeah. You ever talk to Lena? Yeah. That bitch is so fucking confident. Yeah. You know she's going to make it. You know yeah. she's going to make it. I think, like I, I noticed that too. Of everyone who is uh, successful, mostly, have, have a little bit of confidence. Seems confident. Yeah, <laughs> you know they I mean? have a little bit of that yeah. edge, and and I I think it comes from needing the like, needing feeling so oppressed that right. needing to sort of bolster yourself up and calibrate that that sense of confidence right. constantly to the point of just you know like you feel it from Lena and you feel it from a lot of people like you know Issa and, and Shonda and lots of people like you see them that they, they they all have a little bit that tiny bit of swagger. Mm-hmm. And and I think that comes from needing to like pep talk yourself all the time to the point like I don't know for me it is I'm not I can't generalize because I can't I'm not that but for me I I I have to push myself and and be my own pep talk, you know my own cheerleader to the point where I I I I feel like I'm displaying my version of that right. in order just to push through and keep going and to also like just like make the impression you need to it's frankly exhausting sometimes mm-hmm. but i i don't know how else to do it and and i think that's something that we uh, uh many of us in the underrepresented groups are feel and struggle with that sense of like do i belong here and how and how do i prove and how do i prove myself and why do i have to prove myself on a level that people outside of those underrepresented groups don't have to right i think that goes you know? to your oh sorry okay apologize. oh no no go ahead Haley. please I was gonna say, I think that kind of goes to your why. You know, like I tell I tell writers all the time, like you gotta have your why. Like people are like, oh, I want to submit to film festivals. I'm like, don't just submit to film festivals and and, and script competitions. Why do you want to submit to them? They're like, oh well, you know, I want to win, you know, Austin or whatever. I'm like, why, bitch? Why? Right. So what I mean is this: when I first came up, I w- I came from the competition thing too. You know, I've been at Austin, I've been at Sundance, I've been at some of the big ones too. Um, uh, Nichols. I've been in all of them, right? And what I found is I had my reasons for doing them. So my why was, let me see, I've finished this script, right? I've sent it off to my tribe, got my notes, I've re- repolished it. Now I let me see how it does out there. Oh, it only made it to the semifinals. I still got some more work to do. That was my why. If I was blessed to win, Right. That was the that was a bonus for me, you know, but I was trying to see where it was outside yeah. of my crew who already know my style. 
you yeah. know, who sometimes are going to give you the bend of the doubt because that's your boy or your girl. You know, I wanted somebody who's going to be like, I don't know who this person is. Wow. This person out of 6,000 scripts made it to the top 10, whatever it is. You know what I mean? So yeah. find your why, you know what I mean? So <clears throat> that's what I was going with you, Jorge. <clears throat> One of the things I love about you um, and, and Liz, and I'm getting to know you, Kev, is I love people who are always the same people every time you see them. Hmm. You know, um, me and Yvette Vargas talk about this a lot. Um, I love surrounding myself around that person that is that person all the time. And that's the thing I love about you, Jorge. You've been very Thanks, consistent. Every time I've seen you, same dude. Same I appreciate dude. that. And, I appreciate and it. Likewise. That, and that is your superpower to me. Thank you. I appreciate it. Likewise, you know? man. I, I think authenticity is really important. Yeah. And and and, and I, f- I feel the same about you and Liz. And, yeah. and I'm getting to know Kevin, too. Like, I think that's super important, man. I mean, that's... That's I think that's how you find your tribe in this mm-hmm. industry is aligning yourself with people who you feel are, are authentic mm-hmm. and right. are doing their own thing, but don't necessarily. F- I, I I I feel like there's no it's not a zero sum game. Like I I feel like there's room for everybody to succeed. So you know I, I try to I try to operate on that level. Like you know mm-hmm. I'm doing my thing and it's not going to get in the way with anybody else's thing and. And honestly, like, I think, I think also all everyone here, Kev, Liz, and Hilliard, I think also what's good, what I love about this group of people is that we're all trying to do our own thing, but I think we're also, we also value the importance of trying to leave the environment better on some level, like whatever that is that we are doing, like whatever, we're all putting energy into our committees, into our initiatives. Like, you know, we're making some big dents, we're making some small dents, but all together, those are collectively the work that needs to be done, you know? So, agreed. you know, I think that's what I admire about these, about this group, everyone here, you know, and and a lot of other people that I meet along, along in the guild and stuff, you know, I think they're, there are categories of people that you meet in this industry that get it and are not only trying to succeed, but leave the place a little bit better. And there's some that, that don't, that aren't, that don't even, that, that, that that's not even uh, on their radar in any way. And sometimes, sometimes they're, they're no harm, no foul, and they're not really creating problems, but sometimes they're the worst players. And, you know, I guess the point I'm trying to make is is that we all have to align and stick together and and collectively do the things that we're doing and support each other and and be good human beings. Because Hillier was talking about consistency of personality, and and you know, I I, I think that's a, a good indication of who are your allies and who are, who are the people who are trying to move through this industry. Um, with not only just for their own sort of self-aggrandizement, but also trying to to make the place a little bit better. You know, I think that's huge. Um, we're going to open it up to questions from the chat in just a minute. But before Including that... your dog, Hilliard, who's, who's, who's in the screen right now. <laughs> that might be Liz's. That's, that's, that's Venice. Oh, Venice. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, we have Malibu and Venice on our dogs. So. <laughs> we're so uh, gay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but before touches someone needs to put into a script (laughs) but no but before we open it up to questions from the audience but please drop your questions in there if you have questions in the chat for any of our uh, guests today but before we do that I wanted to get into some practical stuff practical chat of advice for diverse writers out there 
obviously there's the fellowship route, which is obviously a good one, but also you have, there's also stumbling blocks there. You know, once you're in the path to mid-level becomes, or even path past staff writer oftentimes, or not doing staff writer twice or three times, um, can become challenging. But that's often a route that, you know, many diverse writers can take. And it is, it, you know, it, it's a good stepping stone. Um, or, and I know there are lots of different groups for different, you know, groups uh, out there for networking purposes and things like that. What are, are some of the things that either you've done or that you see now that you wish were there when you were starting off or, you know, or even participate yourself out there for diverse writers? You know, I'll start with maybe Hilliard. Well, I mean, 20, I started this in 2000, 2001. So the internet wasn't even a big thing back then. So I had to go out and search for it. You know, I had to go to the screenwriting expos and the, you know, and all that stuff. But the cool thing about those things, for those people who haven't been to them, is you got to sit in and meet Pilar and Jim Grisanti and mm. Carla Glacius and Paul Haggis was teaching classes. I mean, it's great. I've learned from so many people, <laughs> you know, Shane Black, I mean, like all these people. Yeah. So, so when people ask me about my writing, you know, Truby, McKee, I've taken them all, you know, spent thousands of dollars, you know, trying to just get game. And some people I take classes from and I didn't like it. You know what I mean? And but but there was a piece of something that I took, <clears throat> you know. So when people read my scripts today, they're like, God, you, you're like so visual the way you do this and this and this. And I'm like, oh, I got that piece from Carla Glacius. Oh, I got mm. that piece from Pilar. Oh, I got that piece from Paula Haggis. Or whatever the thing is, I have it. So it's all in my arsenal you know, of where I was. Um, I forgot your goddamn question. See, that's how I work. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, Liz. I love a man who makes up his own questions to answer. <laughs> what were you saying? Forgive me, Tom. Verse diverse See, writers. No, no, no. Emerging diverse writers coming into the industry. Obviously, right. felt the fellowship route okay. is a good way. But what okay, are some other it. options? I, I what are it. some other things or advice you would have for them so, getting started? Here's the thing that I always tell writers. I do this on my podcast a lot. Podcast a lot. Here's something a lot of people don't know. I'm talking to feature writers by now, just just so you know. A lot of people don't know that you can actually get into the Writers Guild if you write a feature script and it wins a certain competition. You can become like what is it, the International Writers Caucus or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they have this they have the associate thing too. So yeah. I, I always try to encourage people that you know there's actually a fast track that wasn't around when I was in. You know what I mean? That you can actually work yourself in. There's also, um, we didn't have the blacklist, you know, mm. which you can just submit yourself on. And a lot of people don't know it, but I know Lena posted, like, then say like two years ago, she had hit us all up. And I think she ended up tweeting it saying, if you get an eight and higher on the blacklist, she'll personally, you know, read it. And if she loves it, she'll take it in straight to a studio or a network or whatever. And she's been doing that, you know? So there's just so much more avenues that people have today that we didn't have then. That to me, what what I would say that I, that I love, and I know all of us are people who just have our, our hustle muscle on a different type of way. I hate when people come to me going, well, what, what do you think I should do? Or how do you do this? I'm like, bitch, have you heard of the internet? It's <laughs> right there. I hate laziness. What I want you to do is, hey, I went and did this and this and this. Does that sound good to you? As opposed to how do I? Mm -hmm. Right. That tells me you don't care because yeah. if, if I was 12 years old going from the Bay Area to San Francisco, about 30 minutes away 
on the bus just to do theater, you know, to do commercials and stuff like that by myself at 12. You know what I mean? How bad do you want it? With no internet, no beeper. We didn't have none of that back then, you know? So what do you want? You know what I mean? So that's my thing is be that person who goes after shit. Those are the people who attract you. One last thing I'll say. So I was at the gym. I'll never forget. I was writing a spec script of Entourage. 2006 or seven or something like that. <clears throat> and um, I was at the gym and my friend Skip used to train Rob Weiss, who's one of the co-EPs mm -hmm. of the show. And so me and Rob used to always chop it up. And at one point I told Rob, I said, Rob, dude, one day I just want to write like y'all motherfuckers, right? You and Doug, I want to be that good. So one day I'm in the gym, I had just finished my script and I'm the type of dude when I'm in the gym, I'm actually reading the script. Like I'm working out, I'm reading the script, right? And I happen to be reading my spec of Entourage and it fell over and the page flipped over and Rob walked by and he said, oh, you're writing Entourage. I said, yeah. And he says, I'm watching you, <laughs> right? And the reason I tell people that story, of course, it just came back last week. I was on um, um, Clubhouse with Rob and Rob brought up that story. You know what I mean? And so, well, I brought up the story and Rob, Rob reiterated it, you know? And so I brought up that story because I want people to know that when you are out going to get your shit and you're hustling, people do watch. People do see what you do. And if you don't, people see that too, you know? So I know I went a long circle around, but I'm just trying to give a little bit of game where I can. So <laughs> shut up, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> you know Hillier, though. He's so smart. It dropped, <laughs> meaning, oh, here comes Rob. Boop. There you go, Rob. Hey, what's up, Rob? <laughs> oh, yeah, this? Yeah. <laughs> we know Hillier's got game. We know what you know. He's thinking like three steps ahead. He's playing chess, right? I was uh, gonna say I was like the former actor, just like oh, I don't know how that. One of you, one of you guys can answer that question. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah, Liz, go ahead. No, no Liz, I was yeah. gonna say yes, me, me, yeah, Liz, yes, yes. yes me. <laughs> so. I was gonna say I because I came up the assistant route, um, and obviously right now there's there's a lot going on right now for assistants. It's it's something that I feel incredibly passionate about, making sure that we're actually paying a living wage so that we can bring in more um, BIPOC and underrepresented candidates uh, to grow in this industry, you know, to get your foot in the door and 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 actually learn all aspects because i think one of the most important things that we don't talk about is you could come to this industry saying i want to be a writer and then realize i actually don't want to be a writer mm, that like, part don't, yes. yeah like there's so much yeah. especially in being a television writer that you don't consider um because writing is, is not the only thing you do it's obviously the most important thing but like hillier touched on you know there's producing there's posts there's there's being in a room with other people and learning how to be collaborative and that's not for everybody and that's okay. Um, but for me as someone who, who grew, who kind of came up the ranks as someone who was very shy, um, and very, you know, very shy. You were shy? You, you, you would be surprised. Ask a lot of my friends. I was definitely the one very nervous at networking events. Cause okay. I was just like, you know, what like before i was david shore's assistant there's this mentality of your job is your credit card is your calling card mm -hmm. if your job is not deemed good enough you yourself are not deemed good enough and i think that's the mentality to change is is making sure that 
you know, you, it's not what your job is. It's like Hillier said, it's what you're doing to try and get to the place that you want to be. So for example, the Writers Guild Foundation hosts a lot of free informative panels that are that are so informative and great. And not only are, you know, is the information you're going to learn there crucial to, to applying to your career, the people that you're going to meet who are also going to those events are most likely your people. Um, the one thing I always tell, you know, Hollywood hopefuls, if you will, is make your friends. Like don't don't just go out and collect business cards find the people that you resonate with make them your people keep them close to you um because they're going to be the ones that are keeping you sane when you are you know suffering from imposter syndrome and they're going to be the ones that when someone gets a break you know they're going to be calling you guys up and saying like i i want to look really good in this job help me look good in this job and you're going you're going to genuinely want them to succeed because they're your friend. You know, your friends are not your competition. There was that awful Twitter thread that happened a few <laughs> weeks ago where they were just like, look at your friends. They're all your competition. It's like, yeah. no, they're not. No, they're not. They're your support system. They're your biggest advocates. They're your biggest, you know, okay. they are your friends. And they're probably the people who understand what you're going through. So that I know it's technically my answer to your question, Kevin, is, you know, invest in in who it is that you're surrounding yourself mm. with, because often what we don't realize is that job opportunities, as we've said before, where it's white, you know, white showrunners hiring their friends. A lot of jobs do come from the people that we're closest to. Mm. You know, I my first uh, writer's assistant gig. You know, I I got, you know, and I I got because I was um, I was friends with one of the assistants who was leaving, and she was like, "Hey, FYI, like there might be an opening here." And at the time, I was up for an unpaid writer's internship <laughs> in a certain mad room that won't go named, and you know, <laughs> I was trying to figure out like. Do I, can I afford to, to be unemployed for six weeks just to get my foot in the door? Um, but, you know, having a friend who was looking out for me, who, who cared about me and wanted me to succeed as much as she wanted to succeed, you know, meant that, you know, as her career was growing, so did mine. Mm. And that's my, that's my very long way of saying, you know, find your people, keep them close, <laughs> invest in other people's careers because it's the same as investing in yours. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All, all of the above. I mean, Kev, we talked a little bit about this when I did, when we did a one-on-one. -on -one. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I think it's nothing's changed in my response. I think, in addition to what everyone else said, I think, uh, you know, this goes without saying, but I, 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 obviously, your craft is the first thing that has to be there. Like, just whatever you decide your craft is going to be, whatever that is—directing, producing, writing, whatever that is—just um, be the best best version of you in that role that you can be and whatever that is and and, for, and that's constant for me i'm i'm still constantly improving i'm still finding ways to get better uh, I, i'm in, i'm obsessed with being i still haven't written that the best script i've written it's you know i'm constantly trying to be that better writer so whatever that means for you like because unfortunately we do 
we are held to a different standard to some degree. It's an unfortunate truth. So when you get your shot, it's it's got to be the best version of that. And I say that because sometimes I, I, I come across up and coming writers who are young and new and some sometimes on the page, they're not as good as they think they are. And I'm not, and that's not a, against, that's not a, that's not a, a, a BIPOC thing. That's not an underrepresented group thing. That is just a, and I, a naive thing, you know, like I, I, I was that person at one point in my life, you know, I, I did, I came up in the digital space. I was doing a lot of digital content back in New York, you know, web series and stuff. And, you know, there were no, there were no, gatekeepers. I, if I had, if I can get a crew together and I could feed them, I could shoot something and it'd be up on the weekend on YouTube and millions of people would see it. And, and, you know, no, you know, no, there was nobody telling me whether it was good or not. <laughs> I don't know. Like people watched it and, 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 and it felt it was good. Right. But when I tried to make the shift to television, I didn't know what I didn't know. So remove that doubt, <laughs> you know, whatever that is. <laughs> So whatever that is, like, just like, you know, that, there's that. So craft is the first thing, right? And then the second thing is is, is what Liz and Hillier were saying was just like, find your tribe. You know, it's never been easier to do that now than it is on the internet. Like I've had more coffee meetings in the last year mm-hmm. from, from people that I've met on the internet who some of them have been my heroes that I've never had the opportunity to speak with mm-hmm. prior. And they're, people are helpful in a way that they've never been before and transparent and they've never been before. And it's all on the internet. So reach out and do that work. And, 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 and it's not just about upper levels, like, but like Liz was saying, it's like the people right beside you who two years from now will be in positions of like surprising success. And, 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 and that'll be you in two years. So yeah, like building your tribe reaching up, but also reaching down when you can to pull somebody up, you know, um, you'd be surprised how much of a mentor and an ally you could be to people at every stage in your career, at every stage. Like, even if you're just starting out, like you could be helpful to the next person right next to you, you know? So always be doing that, trying to be helpful and, 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 and networking and building your tribe and just, just being a good human being, being your best version of yourself. Don't be the screen screenplay master, that guy from a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> that's a that's a great way to you like, gotta tell your... everybody. You gotta tell everybody. That's... That yeah. was... No, I don't want that guy coming after me. Oh, that's what oh fuck. <laughs> Whatever. Like, you know, it was this thing on, yeah, <laughs> everyone knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> but like, you know, that like you, you'd be surprised how much mm. people just don't are, are don't they I mean, it's a it's a common sense thing that most right you should just be your best version of yourself and everybody has a you know tough times but be your best version of yourself as much as you can and if you can't be that best version of yourself go work it out go to a gym go get help whatever you know whatever talk talk to a friend Mm -hmm. um so you know just be your best version yourself build your tribe and just make sure your your work is the best it, it can be and always be improving because there's always room for improvement always like always and i'm and i'm constantly searching for that holy grail for myself and i think everyone else kind of does their version of that can can i give a little suggestion to that 
Do you mind, Rick? Yeah. 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 You're talking about, you know, building. One of the things that I was thinking about was um, people always ask me, like, how do I write? Like, what's my schedule like? And so, I mean, I have an office on one of the lots, you know. I think, Corey, you've been there. Liz, you've been there. <coughs> I um, haven't been there. When are you going to invite me over? I keep forgetting. You, I don't know why I keep thinking you've been yeah. there. No, we're going to do it after the pandemic. I've known I you got my long. first That's shot, man. So, <laughs> 28 days. Anyway, so, so what I usually do, I usually get there about 11, right? I'm usually from like 11 to 5. That's my window when I write the best. you got to find your window when you write the best, by the way. For mine, it's about five or six hours, right? So, but here's what I do. I write for... 45 minutes and my alarm goes off and I work out. I have weights in my office and everything. I also go to the gym when we can, but we're not going to the gym. So <clears throat> my alarm goes off. So what I have is on my page, I'll have the script for the project I'm writing right now. To the right, I'll have the outline for the script I'm working on next. And minimize is usually a script. Now I've written almost 40 something scripts. I've, I've minimized some script from 10 years ago that's way down in the thing that's just sitting there waiting for me to get to it. So what I'll do is I'll, I'll, I'll write that script, 45 minutes, work out for 10 minutes, come back, I'll move on to the next thing. The other thing I do is change the music. You know, we always have our little, you know, soundtrack that we're listening to. So then I move to the next thing. So people ask me, well, why do you pull out an old script that you wrote 10 years ago? I'm like, because who I was 10 years ago isn't who I am now, you know? And we all know there's nothing like running into, you know, a producer or an exec and they are in a genre of something you wrote years ago. And they're like, oh, well, send me something. And you're like, well, give me two weeks to polish it. You don't want to do that. Mm. That's why I do that. You know, so that I always constantly have this rotating thing of who I am now. You know what I mean? So that's, that's, that's the type of hustle you got to have. You know what I mean? You got to be that ready. You know, there's nothing like reading. And, and you hear it now with the agents and reps. You, you get yourself a meeting with a, with an agent. They love your script and like, great, send me another one. That's what they do. Mm-hmm. They don't go outside yeah. you. There's never, yeah, you, you can't just rely on <laughs> one thing, thing ever. Like you right. have to, ha- you have to be ready with your arsenal. Exactly. At exactly. least two or three things at barely, at bare minimum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I just wanted to add to that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so a, a question here from the chat. Akimak Television said, uh, I guess it's regarding diversity, our diversity conversation. Could Hollywood experience white flight with getting projects greenlit? What's white flight? Yeah, what do you mean by that? I don't, I don't know that term. Yeah. Um, my thought was, in ter- like, I, white flight meaning, like, you know, white talent leaving or not getting leaving, projects greenlit? Leaving, yeah. I, I don't know. Almost 100%. like they'll start something new or something. Or yeah, maybe. Or maybe it's harder for, you know, white, you know, projects to get greenlit. Although, I mean, it's... I, don't... I just think I... we're so far away Yeah, from I think that's right a now. long, long if ways anything, away, if, if anything, ever. we would fly. Right. We would all band together. Exactly. And, <laughs> you know, build our yeah. own studios. I, I, I don't think there's any fear of that. No. I don't think anyone yeah. needs to worry about that. No, I just... The other thing that, that that we never talk about, too, is that the people at the top, the top, top, top of the studios nice. are bankers and Wall Street people who mm-hmm. don't care about art and, and diversity and inclusion and all they care about dollars. Yeah. So, so I mean, they, rec- they care about returns on investments. 
that's one of the major reasons why you're seeing all of these reboots and sequels and and remakes of pre-existing properties because it costs a fraction yep. of of the price that would to launch an original series yeah. while also making sure that there's a built-in audience to ensure that there's a profit. So I think, unfortunately, those people at the top are looking at white actors and white talent as profitable and us as a potential yeah. passing fancy. So really the way that, you know, one of the biggest ways that yeah. we're going to get more inclusion and diversity in this industry is making sure that you know, the gold opens, the the BIPOC-led movies, all of those are are smashing numbers because unfortunately yeah. we don't get the luxury to fail yeah. because the moment we're viewed as not profitable, like those movies disappear. Mm-hmm. Although the data, again, back to data, it's starting to, it's starting to emerge about how profitable diversity actually is. It actually yep. is yep. really good for the bottom line. And I think that's finally, unfortunately, one of the things that's going to move the needle it's not like the good intentions of like just doing the right thing. It's the bottom line, but, but at least that's in our favor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it goes back to, there's just not enough. Yeah. You know, they like, they'll always give us an excuse. Oh, well, that was just that movie. Or oh, that was just that movie. Oh yeah. Of course. Black Panther girls trip, crazy rich agents. We know. Okay. Yeah. That was just, it was like, no bitch, we can, there's more, there's so many more, but they won't even, take the risk on it. They won't take the chance on it. And when they do, you know, you hear about all these movies that come out, you know, even I believe Crazy Rich Agents, they didn't have the budget they wanted. Yeah. You know what I mean? And and everything like that. <clears throat> even even um, Black Panther, they didn't have the, move, the, the budget that they gave the other Marvel movies. You know what I mean? They just, luckily, the team came together and everybody gave it 100%. Yeah. You know? And that's, that's what, what they miss is they forget that we know how to put teams together. You know, we know how to get favors and stuff like that. They still have to get favors on Black Panther, you know, so. Wow. Crazy Rich Asians, they had to use Michelle's ring for right. that, that beautiful emerald ring that wow. they had. Apparently they had to pick the crap. And, and John, she was like embarrassed to give this to Michelle. And she's like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> you know, basically took it out of her own collection. And you know, if that had been a white movie, like Cartier would have been knocking on exactly. the door. He's like, please, yeah. take your pick of the vault. So mm-hmm. it's it's frustrating. Yeah. Hopefully Michelle got a rental fee or something for that. <laughs> <laughs> this and her kids. For $85 yeah. a week rental fee. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's a little clarification. Uh, when people of color, this is from Akamak Television again. When people of color, I think she's clarifying, um, he or she is clarifying when people of color move into white areas, the whites take the money and run. Could this happen in Hollywood? I guess in terms of the white uh, flight. Well, I think, I think, I think there's, I mean, they, they, they've already done that. Uh, yeah. That's what I was saying. They've I already think, taken the money and they're already excluding us. I mean, yeah. we, we, we talked about a lot that's on what... the black committee about um, the nineties when we had the CW and all those other, the WB, you know, which were black, you know, channels, if you will, before, you know, they moved us out. They're like, oh, we got it going now. Now let's get rid of them and let's bring in Angel or whatever the fuck. <laughs> you know what I mean? So that's that's what happens. You know what I mean? So it happens every time. It's it, it's consistent. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's an interesting question, but I I, I I don't see it. I mean, it's sort of it's already that. You know, they've already created a system where we they've they've taken the money. 
maybe it's not a geographic thing and moved to a new neighborhood, but they've shifted the the money's already shifted away from us. Like mm. we're, it's already in mass sort of like uh, proportions stacked against us. Still, even now, even with all of the progress we think we're making, or the little progress we are making, it's still way stacked against us. And like, where like, they're not physically going to go to a different place, they they already they're already in control. Um, yeah. Still, so and they and they'll take over something. I mean, like we I don't know if you guys saw that. I don't know if it was on PBS that that uh, documentary was like a six part on country music. It was fucking amazing. Mm. <clears throat> you know, I mean, black people started country music and people don't. It's like crazy that to think that, you know, we're in a society in a world where they're like, well, you know, I don't think the audience is going to buy this. It's like, bitch, we started it. What yeah. are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So now we're finally starting to see some stars come in, which I'm really excited about. There's some really big, some of the top black, um, some of the top country music um, artists right now are black. You know interesting. I mean? There's cool. at least four of them. That's which awesome. Which is a big <clears throat> number. And when, I think one or two are female, yeah. which is great. Mm-hmm. So yeah. anyway, I didn't mean to jump off of that. <laughs> yeah. Um, Melissa Long asked, what can the WGA do to influence change the shortage of mid-level writer spots and similar and smaller writers' rooms? Liz. Yep. Yeah. Uh, it, it's interesting. I mean, one, it's the fight of the NBA. Um and I will also say, having set, sat through one of the MBA negotiations, I sat through this previous negotiation. Like, I, f- I fucking hate the studios. <laughs> I, really, I really, really do. And, and I was warned that the way that their negotiators uh, talk is, is to incite rage. Wow. You know, because they want you to make a mistake. They want to see that they're getting under your skin. Um, you know, and I think I'm I'm trying to clarify with the WJ experience that I can talk about because, you know, I don't wanna I don't wanna get myself in trouble and, and get the board. I understood. Um, <laughs> yeah, but but it was, you know, especially especially seeing how um how diversity was treated because there were a lot of fighting for diverse initiatives for that MBA. And the response that was given was infuriating. Um, Unfortunately, I think what we're trying to do right now, make mini rooms a little bit more equitable, like make sure that, that we can actually get people paid rather than keep them on scale for two years, three years, hold them under contract. And the other half of that is this was always part of the agency campaign is making sure that, you know, we're not just relying on the MBA to come and fix everything. So now that hopefully we have the agents, you know, agencies aligned with writers you know, as they should be, hopefully, you know, that's more manpower to fight for bigger budgets in the shows. That's, that's more manpower to fight for more money in the writer's room. Mm -hmm. Um, But really it's going to be, there's not a, there's not an easy fix. It's just going to take, you know, a lot of different strategies to solve this one problem. Good point. Yeah. Um, Art. Because there are a lot of angles to it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, Art Tawari asks, if I'm creating a show or film about Indian characters, uh, what's the best way to push back when uh, a producer or collaborator tells us that it should be the way they know because they have an Indian friend? <laughs> We've all heard wow. that. Wow. That's, yeah. yeah, that's a big one. Uh, I, I think I could try to take that one. First of all, make sure you hire a native writer or indigenous writer to write that script and, and trust them because it's their experience. And um, yeah, I mean, a producer that tells you that's ridiculous. Like that, that if, if they're going to, if, if you're working with a producer that insists on that level, I would actually like um, question whether you want to be working with that person in the first place. Uh, that's the first thing. Second thing, like hopefully the writer or person on the writing team is native or that knows that culture. And, se and secondly, there, there is there is a, a group called a think tank for inequity inclusion that uh, has created um, fact sheets for all of these. Uh, and, and they're still some of them are still in the works, but they have published fact sheets that will help you uh, avoid cliches and, and, and images and, and ideas and storylines that, uh, you know, we want to avoid. Yeah. Um, and the guild has tons of committees, diversity committees, inclusion committees that, that are populated with every imaginable upper, underrepresented group. So reach out to them and find a writer. If you think you can't find one, there's no excuse that excuse of like, we can't find the writers that know this subject matter is bullshit because there are tons of them. And, I, and I'm just going to read them off right now. There is an Asian American writers committee. There's a career longevity committee. There's a committee of black writers, women writers, Latino writers, LGBTQ plus middle Eastern native American and indigenous and writers with disability. So they all exist. Just go to the WGA WGA.org website and, and, and do a search for inclusion and equity. You will find all of these committees and how to contact them. So that, that question of not being able to find a writer for the uh, culture you're trying to represent is, does not exist. Anymore. I'm not sure that it was... never did. It never did, but it, yeah. but especially now, I'm not sure that was the question. I think it was more so if they, they are when, the when writer. So, yeah. When they yeah. are the writer, so, when they are the writer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but let me just add to that. Keep your thoughts. Sorry, I apologize. Wait a minute. I, I thought it was they were the producer and you were the writer. No, no, no. They're going against the producer. Mm -hmm. I believe yeah. they're they're an Indian writer. Yeah. Um, right. Like South South Asian writer. Um, And their producer is combating. I'm assuming this is what it is. Oh. The producer yeah. is going against their own lived experience by saying, well, I have an Indian friend. Yes. And... This is how their life is. That's the thing that pisses me off is no one person represents the entire, you know, experience of a community. We are not a monolith. Mm -hmm. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And that, I think yeah, there are no monoliths. Right. That's exactly what it is that uh, like the answer that I usually use is like, well, I have a white friend and they don't, you know, drink as much as <laughs> like that. You know, so so are you gonna tell me that, you know, like your experience matters more as a white man than my white man friend, because I think he's more of a white dude than you are, exactly. um, you know, and, and, but that's also because I'm an asshole who tends to like, <laughs> you know, I, I'll take gasoline to bridges if it, if someone <laughs> talks to me that way. Um, but I think, I think the, the political answer is exactly what 
Hilliard just said is we're not a monolith. This is this is rooted in my own experience. I understand that your friend has these experiences. That does not dismiss my life. Uh, um, you know, and this is this is the story that I want to tell. And if that and is, they wrote it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, like they wrote it. Well, that's I guess that's the point I was trying to make was like trust the writer if they're if, yeah. if they're if they're the ones who've been hired as the subject matter es- expert and they're and they're qualified because they are that 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 identity then you have to trust them. The other thing that I was going to say is sometimes you're talking to culture and some you ta- sometimes you're talking to where you live. So mm-hmm. one of the things that we get a lot, <clears throat> excuse me, on the Black Committee is so say they're looking for you know, somebody for a hip hop movie in New York, right? And and you have a writer in LA who wants to submit to that. That doesn't mean they don't know about that, but they didn't grow up in New York, mm-hmm. right? The way that people talk and act in New York is a little bit different than the way they talk and act in LA. You know, the slang is a little bit different. The words that mean one thing there don't mean the same thing there. You know what I mean? We might say dope, they might say something else. We might say this, they might say that. There's lots of little isms that we all have that separate us in a different way. And to me, <clears throat> that is what's usually missing. So that's why it's so difficult. And Liz, Jorge, we've all been the writers yeah. on the show, the, mm-hmm. the one person of color, usually, on a show that's supposed to be representing one of the stars on the show, right? That looks mm-hmm. like one of us. But even we aren't usually where they're from sometimes either. We're just that black, that Latin, that Asian person in the room. Yeah. So they think we could speak to it. I'm like, bitch, I'm not from New York. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, or, I'm or not from like, Jersey or whatever, right? Yeah. Exactly. Or you're the only ex in a room and they want you to talk about ex, uh, you know, like, like you're the only Latino in a room and say you're Mexican or Puerto Rican mm-hmm. and they want you to speak on pandemic you know, Panamanian culture. Right. Mm. Yeah. And, and and they don't understand why you don't feel qualified. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or you might be the only Latinx person in the room and they're like, so what do Asians feel about this? Yes. <laughs> right. Right. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, yes. tell me, tell me what the people, you know, Cambodian immigrants, yeah. how do they feel about white supremacy? You should know. Yeah. <laughs> they all just they just ask the question in the room and they all just sort of look at you without asking you they just look it's in your exactly direction that's exactly what happens Holy yes it's, it turn turn to this this like what is it the the like it's not a dictionary but it's just the bible mm. the diversity yeah. bible yeah here's the cool thing though i'm glad you brought up the think tank um inclusion and equity oh, hilliard froze for a second Oh, did I? I'm yeah. sorry. Am I here? And actually, Liz has a hard out at uh, 11.30, so if you have to bolt at any yes. point, Liz, we, we understand. I do. I have to say goodbye. Thank you guys so much. Bye, Liz. So Bye. We love you. I love you guys so much. So. Yeah. All right. yeah. Thank Bye, you, Liz. guys. Bye. See you, girl. Um, so what I was saying, can you hear me now? Yep. Jeff? Yeah, we can hear you. Okay. So we were. <clears throat> I was glad you brought up the fact sheet for the inclusion and equity um, thing because the reason why this thing came about is exactly because of this conversation. Yeah, one of us is in a room, and there are more than one um, diverse person in the room um, on on the sh- in the cast, and we are the ones who are supposed to speak to that person, right? 
So if, if I'm the black person in the room and we have an Asian lead, for example, I'm going, I don't know what this thing is. They have different cultures than we do. We all live in America, but it doesn't mean we don't still have a culture that we come from, mm -hmm. right? And so that is partly why I think they came out with Think Tank to go, okay, let's ask all the experts, different types of people in the Asian community, different types of people in the black community, in the Latinx community, in the gay community, with the, the, uh, the LGBT community, et cetera, et cetera, so that we can get more than one opinion. You know what I mean? And put all these things together and go based on this, here's the overall, here's some overall things you do. There's still things missing in this, but here's some general, you know? And so that's why they came out with that because they do expect, because we are, I hate the word minorities, by the way, I fucking hate it. Because we are the other, they think we understand. Hmm. We generally get some of the stuff because we all are oppressed in some ways, you know? But the culture, no. If you don't live with that, you do not understand it, you know? And to say you do because you wrote it is not a good reason. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I'm sorry, I have to go off on that. No. Um, Art Tawari said, compromise on my creative vision versus stand up for what I know is right. How to not get thrown out of a room and get it made. Um, do you have, again, going back to his the you know the indian writer who has his own experiences with the producer who was like well my you know indian friend or my indian roommate nah, he he'd probably say something different how do you diplomatically when you're an emerging writer when you're not you don't have a ton of credits you don't have a ton of leverage you may they may not even have bought or even optioned your script but they're potentially interested how do you but at the same time they're also the buyer so you sort of have to please them but how do you sort of direct it in a way that's both diplomatic and hopefully can assuage some of the concerns, pressures from a producer yeah. in that situation. Do you have any sort of advice or have you ever encountered oh, yeah. any situation I like that? I think it's the character. I think you have to fight about the character, hmm. you know, and because, because this particular writer wrote the thing, he should be able to fight and explain how this character works. Yeah, in the I, I, I think like world. like a rational explanation, like a re like listen, like a real like this is why, this is the character, these are the circumstances. Mm -hmm. I, I I don't discount that what your friend experienced is a thing, but for this guy, exactly, he would do things this way. Mm. You know, I I think just like you know, that whole process of getting your thing done uh, with a producer and, and and being emerging and worried about trashing the relationship it's like you're that's there's a version of that in every part of your career you have to i think you have to learn how to navigate that um diplomatically and and choose your battles you're not going to win every battle i think you it, it, the 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 higher the stakes it never goes away it never goes away i have showrunner friends who have that battle every week with notes calls and stuff like you know um so i think you have to pick them and, and and go after them rationally and have a good sort of explanation it's it sucks that you have to do that sometimes but you that's the game you're that's the world you're entering it's gonna it's all it's a lot of that it's 90 percent of that you know constantly fighting for your vision mm -hmm. and you have to get good at 
negotiating that vision. And you have to get good at also knowing when to let go of certain things, knowing which things are more important, you know, because you won't win every battle and you have to choose them wisely, I think. Um, and that's a skill set that you just have, that's a muscle you have to build, you know. But, it's, but, it's, but Jorge, here's, here's an interesting thing about that, though. Even our white friends, and we all have them, you know, who are showrunners and whatnot, even they have battles they have to go yeah. through. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, so totally, this is not, totally. It's not necessarily a piece a, a people of color thing. Uh, yeah, this, yeah, this exactly. Is the, that's the what issue that we have, but yeah. they have issues in as their writers. way as writers too that's, about their characters. And that's the writer. Too. That's that's the writer experience. Exactly. You're right. You're that's what I meant to say. It. You're never, it's always. It's never going to go away. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's not a people of color thing. No. It's not an underrepresented group thing. It is just the part of the industry. Right. Like yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, John Russell yeah. had mentioned recently an article by Kristen Wiig and Annie Momolo discussed the experience with a director notorious for using his power over writers. There was a famous uh, public exchange between the same director and a writer years earlier. In the current zeitgeist of film, every director is suddenly getting credit for a writer's work. How is the industry going to adjust to give the writer, particularly the writer of color, the appropriate credit for their work without being steamrolled due to power? It's the power imbalance. It's a difficult thing, you know, with with, with film. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I do movies and TV. I actually just signed a big project um, that I'm that I wrote. Um, just got a, um, a a deal done uh, last Tuesday. Well, congratulations! Um, thank you, thank you. And it's a project Congrats. I wrote ten years awesome. ago. Was know, it one of those ones it, you were working on? You know, with your uh, other things, current, you know, rotating in there. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Um, but it's a project which which Hillier is going to hire me on because I'm looking for Hillier, right? So right, you exactly, got me on, exactly. you got me right. It's a feature. It's a feature. <laughs> um, and and so it it where I'm going with all this is you have to sell yourself the way you envision yourself. The problem is most emerging writers try to sell themselves already as an executive producer, right, or as a producer. And and what I always try to tell writers is get produced right get what sell that fucking baby of yours if you only think you have one you're not fully a writer yet <laughs> you know what i mean i have about six of them that i think are like my babies guess what if they wanted to buy them hey bitch you could have it <laughs> right i would sell them in a heartbeat but what i would sell them in a way is why i would be great on the set mm. why i would be great asset to help the, the director or whatever it is i would be selling myself that way so when I come in the room for like this project right now, I'm like, I'm a producer on this and my producing partner is a huge casting director. Let me tell you how our team works works together and how we can help this process. You know what I mean? That's what I do so that I come in the room, not only as a writer, but also as a producer. I'm doing producer things. I'm not just saying, make me a producer. I'm saying I'm bringing elements to the table. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And those are the things you have to do that separate you from just being the writer. You know, and that's why I've been able to succeed, you know, and, and even from the indie world, I still come in with that attitude, you know, and, and, and when I'm even being offered, you know, on staff shows, I'm coming in talking about my producing stuff. I'm not coming in talking about I want to be a staff writer or a story editor and I'm going, I'm already a producer, mm-hmm. you know, you can play this game or not, <laughs> you know what I mean? I could take it or leave it. I'm still going to be making my independent project you know, and still doing six figures. So it's up to you to decide if you want to play with me. 
You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And Jorge was talking earlier about, you know, knowing what you're worth and, 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 and walking into room with that confidence, you know, that's what would the best thing that those indie projects did for me was give me confidence that I can, you know, so I walk into a room strong, you know what I mean? And that's, that's, that's how I feel. Go ahead, Jorge. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no, I, uh, I, you know, I, 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 well, the question was about how to protect your credits as a BIPOC writer. Was was that it? Um, just trying to remember the question. Exactly. It was about that, but also you, directors and other people using their power to sort of take control of a project and getting credit for it as well. But I mean, I think that can happen with writers of, you know, white writers as well, but specifically, okay. yeah, you know, yeah. diverse writers. Um, I think probably face uh, more pressure. Before, to... before you answer that, I just want to say that's happened to John August and Craig Mason. Sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I... Or some big writer came in and rewrote them. That's what happened. Yeah. So, I mean, every, every situation is slightly different. Um, and, but I, again, I, I, again, I think it's a problem that you would have what your, your, your represent, you know, what your background is, whether you're BIPOC or not, or underrepresented or not. And, and I think it happens way more in feature film than it does in television. And I think it goes partly to what Hilliard said. I think the more the the more pedigree you have, the hopefully the less that'll have a stronger foothold. But I think I think partly it's also protecting yourself, like surrounding yourself with a good team. Like, you know, if you're the, at that level where you're you're writing something that could get stolen from a big producer, big name producer, or someone or director. You should ha- have a, a team of reps around you that are looking out for your best interests. Like if you if you're at that position, you're all by yourself. Find yourself some people, mm-hmm. because if you're you're already you should you should be able to use that leverage. Look, I'm working with this big producer. I need a, I need an agent or a manager. I think that will attract someone knowing that on that level level, even though it might be, you know, a not so comfortable situation build a team around yourself that'll help protect you very good you know and if and if you can't in that situation get get the team around you for the next one i would also add this though so this person sounds like director coming in and rewriting them and then taking the credit um usually what in my experience when i've gotten to the search for the directors and whatever i i have those other ones that like to rewrite writers too (laughs) you know what i mean do your fucking homework right and so, for example, sometimes uh, you might that might, might sometimes you might not pick and choose too, for, you know, yeah, at so that for, level. For, but um, depending on, like I said, the brought to the table, what I have found is like um, I, some people know I wrote the Black Wall Street script, and so that has been in and out of in and out of different turnarounds, and they'll bring different people to me, and I'm like, love that director, but no, and they're like, why? And I'm like, you guys love this script. This script came in over a script you guys already had about what Black Wall Street. <laughs> you know what I mean? I said, no, not that person. Not that person. Yeah. So I will fight for it, yeah. even at the risk of losing, depending on what it is. But, but but also, Hilliard, if you have good people around you, they should be able to help you hold on to your to the to, to you know, be, be able to hold on to your to your status and credit as a writer. But you can almost never control how much of it is going to be you until the movie's done. Right. You know, and when the yeah. movie's this, that's when. Yeah, but it may up. not. But it may. But it might yeah, not be your work. You can. You can almost always hold on to story, but you can't always hold on to written by. Right. You know what I mean? That's what you're fighting for, and that's what I'm really fighting for for myself. Mm. 
when I'm dealing with is to keep that. And, um, you know, there, there have been, I had a movie with my first movie I ever did. I wrote and then the director came in and, and rewrote me. And he was just like, I rewrote it because I wanted to do this. Well, he slowed down my whole movie. I had a fast paced horror movie that I wrote, you know, he slowed it all down. And, and I immediately said, Oh no, 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 no. He should get credit for this. <laughs> you know, I'm sharing, I'm not going to go out with my name on it <laughs> like that. So he needs the, and it should say written by me and him. You know, I actually fought to help him get that. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, and so, because when I read the script, I'm like, I had a 90 page script. How did it go up to 120 pages? Wow. You know, for a horror film, I knew it was slower. Wow. You know, I knew, yeah, for a horror film, I was like, no, no. You know, it's a movie I never talk about, but you know, it was, it was a credit. It got me on a bunch of panels for horror movies and stuff. Yeah, and yeah. It was fine. It sold to AFM. It did its thing, but it wasn't the movie that I wrote, mm -hmm. you know? So anyway, but I had my reason. I wanted to be produced. Yeah, no, you know, and I think for a lot of emerging writers out there who are, you know, a lot of the writers in the chat are asking the questions are of that ilk, you know, they're just trying to see if they can hold on to whatever they can in a position like you just want to get something produced. You know what I mean? Um, so uh, we'll wrap it up with this last question. Academic Television also asks, what is a dream diversity project, film or TV, that you would like to see or have imagined for yourself? I've already written like six of them. <laughs> I, I was just going to say, I'm thinking about all the projects that I'm trying to get on air now. Yeah. Like uh, I'm right. I'm writing them. I've written them and, and I'm trying to get one couple of them made, uh, you know, just look, uh, I, I don't want to compare any, anything I'm trying to do or what I think should be done with anything that's already out there. There's some great stuff out there that mm -hmm. has been done recently. Mm -hmm. And I aspire to my versions of those things for myself. Um, but I, you know, I obviously for, and, and, and I'll just speak on the Latinx experience. Like, mm -hmm. you know, we're all tired of the border and cartels and the maid, you know, not to discount any of those stories because some of those shows are still in existence and I love and watch some of them. Right. Mm -hmm. um, we can write, you know, space operas and we can write horror shows and we can write besides cop shows. I don't know what I'm trying to do. I've, I, I'm a genre writer mainly. Um, and I've got a couple things I'm trying to put out there. Science, grounded science fiction music related shows uh i have that is written specifically through latinx experience um but but it's different from anything that's been done i think i'm trying i i think hilliard has his mm -hmm. his slate we all have our slates we, we all we're all writing what we want to see on television and and in you know, features and, and, and in features and yeah. features yeah yeah and and i would i would echo that i mean for me uh, I have about six projects right now that that are dream projects of mine. And I, I'm kind of an old soul. We haven't really talked about our backgrounds or anything. I'm sure we'll get into that on another podcast. Yeah. No, but, you know, I'm, 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 I'm an old soul. You know, it's just kind of who I am, you know, growing up in the whole, you know, 80s, you know, punk rock scene and all that. 60s music is my favorite thing. And um, it's, it's, it just so happens that the last like four or five projects I've written for producers or for myself have been, you know, these historical, you know, the shows, you know, I've done Westerns, I've done, 
Um, like right now, uh, we were creating a new show um, around the first uh, ball players from the 1930s. Um, Why UCLA? I'm, I'm, I'm writing. It should be that, about the USC Alabama game. That's what it should be. <laughs> well, the, the 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 movie, the big thing is USC versus versus UCLA. Okay. That big battle in 1939. But did you hear the story um, about the USC Alabama game? That was a big game where uh, coach of Alabama at the time. It was in like in the 70s. And or maybe the '60s, and the he was a legendary Alabama coach. The name is is uh, out of my head right now. I, I can't think of it. But he wanted to play USC because USC was integrated, you know, players. But Alabama only had white players, so he scheduled a game against USC uh, specifically because he knew that his team would get. They had black players on their team. And he wanted his board of governors to allow him and his athletic director to black players because they wouldn't before. So he wanted to show them, look, this rated come in, came in and kicked our butts. If you don't let me get black players, we're going to continue to lose. And so, basically that story. Yeah. So, but they, the first one, you know, they every there was like, I don't know, out of all the teams, there was like maybe one or two players on in the whole, you know, division. And um, he was the first person to bring in five on one team. Hmm. So, yeah, it's that whole thing. Um, anyway, so I have that. And, you know, I have an Emmett Till, different perspective that nobody's seen. Um, I have um, a story about the first black U.S. Um, not the first black um, uh, woman to disguise herself as a man and fight with the Buffalo hmm. Soldiers. Um, I have one about Bass Reeves, the first, you know, he's, he was the, actually the original Lone Ranger, who's like the first black U.S. Marshal. Um, so I'm always like going back and forth. But one of the things I'm really good about doing is making, of course, my Black Wall Street yeah. script. I have, a, I have another script about Sylvester, the big disco singer, <laughs> you know, that that's the one that just went last week. And so, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm constantly in the past. But the thing that I found that I'm always telling writers to do is you got to find your your voice and your themes in the way that you write and i write yeah. under underdog stories in the redemption and murder death kill world so yeah. i do you still see that underdog story you know when i go in on pitches like um this new even the project i'm telling you about the football game <clears throat> i came at it from a whole different point of view than other people came in to pitch it you know what i mean i found who the real underdog was it was the, it was the players they were focused on the coach I was like, it's a white saber movie. Hmm. <laughs> it's a white saber show, you know, these, these episodes. And so when we came in, we we got it, you know? So that's, that's the thing that it still stays within my theme, mm -hmm. you know? So know what you're, what you're strong at and what your themes are. Yeah. I, I think the, the great thing about his writing historical drama is that you can always find ways to make it relevant to today because history learn from our history. We are constantly repeating the same. I, I love historical drama too, and that's what I always look for. Work on something in, in that realm. It's always like plays thirty years ago, but look how how relevant it is to what's happening today. Still, right, right. exactly. Um, you mentioned Bear Bryant. That was a coach at Alabama with his houndstooth okay. cap and everything. Um, uh, we got one more question. Kind of slipped through. Do you yeah. guys have time for one more question? Yeah, I'm fine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sandrine Matthews asked, it's sort of a two-parter, how long did it take for you to get to a point where you felt comfortable fighting for what you want early on in rooms where uh, where you were the only diverse writer? Was it difficult to find your place to feel comfortable speaking up? I was lucky. Uh, I've been lucky because the, the the environments I've been in have been pretty... I, I've never... Uh, I've mostly felt... I don't think I've had to battle the wet the battle. And honestly, like 
I have had I've had those I've had some conversations that were surprising. Um, but compared to some of the like uh, it, it just I I don't know like so I don't have a great answer for that. I, I think it's like you always have to know your worth no matter what. Start there, right? And er, at every stage of my life, I've encountered not just at work. So I guess you get, you know, rely on those, on your, on your best tools that you've learned throughout life outside of the room to, to use those tools inside the room, you know, like em- environment's different. So it, I can't speak to every experience. I just know that it's never going to go away. There's always going to be some version of it. Um, try to be your best self in each and be level-headed and, but stick to your guns too. Like, you know, like make your point and stick to your guns. And, you know, I think in the, in the, in, in those, those small battles, it might feel like, like, like you're, you're, you're Davy going against the Goliath and it's tough and it feels overwhelming long run that will serve you well. Agreed. Um, I would add that you have to kind of learn to say no. When I, when I realized that, that, that you hear successful people say this all the time, oh, when I learned the power of no <clears throat> is really when my career turned around. And that's what I found. Um, even to be honest, the, the football project, I'm telling you, we actually turned it down at first, hmm. you know, and they came back offer, you know what I mean? And so, and so you have to, what I've learned is when you say no, you actually are the one in power. And sometimes you say no and it just doesn't go. They move on to the next person, but you have to be willing to say no. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to tell this quick little story. I might have told it once on my my own show once. Is <clears throat> um, and, and this isn't necessarily about being a black guy, but it does transition. So I didn't graduate from high school. Um, I never went to college. I went to USC because I was in like a writing program, like fifteen weeks. And so um, I've always been insecure about the fact that I, did, I I didn't. You know, and as a black person and as a person of color, we have to be. So my work ethic is just a little. My first two years of my writing, I re, I think I read exaggerating. I want to say it was 1,200 scripts or wow. something. You know, and I was doing three a day, four a day. I was trying to learn, trying to learn. And so it's something that I pull from now because I'll be like, oh, so they want me to write this. Let me pull something from you know, script I got from way back in the eighties. Let me pull this style of something I read from, you know, like I can pull it. I see it in my head. So it actually was an advantage to me. Going with that is we're, I'll never forget. I was in a room on deadly class. A couple were the producer level writers were going in about philosophy. What the fuck are they talking about? Politics and philosophy. I don't know. And I started going into you didn't graduate from high school, but college, you know, you're the, the black kid from the hood, all that shit to myself and that imposter syndrome at the top of my head. And I remember shrinking. I was like, I need, and I'm sitting at the table with the entire staff. And I, I looked at the table and we have the master comic book for the show. And I was like, I need to busy myself. So I just start flipping through and I stop on uh, the character we're going to bring in season two names named um, Maude Stevens. So anybody knows me, I grew up in the world in the 60s suits and them scooters and all that. Well, this was that guy. And so I looked at this photo and I just start smiling. 
about how cool he looks and he looks like me in my heyday. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I was the guy who was there in San Francisco in the whole Montpelier. No, nobody, nobody in that room had the experience you had. Room. Nobody yeah. in that room was there. And I just yeah. start smiling <clears throat> and I was like, and I look around and I'm like, nobody can touch me on this, right? They could talk philosophy and all that stuff. That's not even in, they could do that all day. When we get to this, I got it. Mm -hmm. And I never had it again. So whenever I'm in a room or working on anything, I always go to why my superpowers there so that I never feel that. Yeah. Sometimes you come in a room and you're not sure why they, why did they bring me on the show? You know, and you go, Oh, that's why. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's it goes back. It goes, goes back to knowing your value. Yes. Yeah. You know, like, and there was another you're not going to be all things. You're not going to be all things to all people, but you're going to have your superpowers and lean into them. Right. Was there yeah. another part of the question that I think I missed? It was the first part of it. Um, the first part was, and it's questioned by Sandrine Matthews. So if, I don't know if I uh, mentioned that. Thank you, Sandrine. Yeah. Um, how long did it take you for you to get to a point where you felt comfortable writing for or fighting uh, for what you wanted? And the second part was early on in rooms where you were the only diverse voice. Was it difficult to find your place? to feel comfortable speaking up. Well, I'll say so, this and you yeah. can answer Jorge really quick. Is, yeah. Yeah. Is, yeah. Um, it took me probably about four or five years before I got really comfortable with what I was doing. And I, I think I was writing for like two years before I ever submitted my first draft. I submitted to Sundance and it made it to the top 10, I think, mm. you know, my first draft. And I was like, oh. Hmm. And I was like, wow. Now it took me a year or so to write this goddamn script now i can write a movie in a couple of weeks you know but at the time you know it took me a long time and i was still acting at the time i still was doing stuff <clears throat> but um the, and, and i was talking about having your why earlier and how i used to enter all these competitions but when i got out of all these people ascendance i was like you know i must be not bad at this and then that's going to austin and going to uh, Nichols, and i was like oh yeah so your confidence starts to do this thing in on you have some weight on your script you know it's not just a script it's a script that's a final it's a script mm. that won it's something somewhere and that was my reason to my ego you know because people always saw me as the actor so i had to and the, and the dancer you know i've traveled i've fucking been on tour with rappers i've danced with a hammer i've done all kind of things so i people have i had to change my whole persona to build that confidence back again you know what i mean so that's my thought yeah, I think the question also references a length of time. And I, I don't know if I can really pinpoint how long it took. Um, and I think it's different for everybody. But there is a corner that you turn at some point where you realize that you you have worth and you have value. And <clears throat> at some point, you I, I don't know, like there, there was, I think there was, I mean, there was a moment for me where I, I, I flipped a switch and I was just like, fuck it. <laughs> I don't know. You know, there's a moment where you go, just go like, you know, those battles will always be there and there will always be some people that doubt you. And there will always be some toxic players. And there will always like, at some point you just like, the landscape is not going to change. The landscape is not going to change that much mm -hmm. with attitude towards it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. 
And you can make that switch any given moment. That Whoever's asking that question, if they're struggling with that now, I can tell you right now, there's a switch you can flip right now. You can just say, fuck it. <laughs> and be like, look, this is nothing's going to change. But, mm-hmm. but, but what can change is me. I could change. I could flip that switch and just this, this take, take that wire that is wired to like, oh my God, what is everyone thinking and judging me? And why do I care? Take that wire mm-hmm. and unplug it and don't care about that anymore. And it feels right in your gut and as you need to have in rooms the way you want them to ha- happen. Yep. as best as you can and as a rational and, and try to remove emotion from it. And if you just do that it, every time it'll serve you well and you might lose battles, but overall it'll serve you in the long run. And I, and I definitely, I definitely have had that very visceral moment, mostly with pitching in, in projects, like less with being in a room. Like, I, I remember a year or two ago or a couple of years, four years ago, where I just I made a decision that I once, whenever I go into a room to pitch, I, I just, I've already done so much work to get there, to know my project and to practice my pitch that when I'm in the, when I'm in a waiting room with a bottle of water waiting to go into that meeting, there's a moment of, I'm, I don't give a fuck how this turns out. I don't care because I have no control over that. Mm-hmm. But I do have control room. You know how I'm going to perform the best in that room? By not giving a shit anymore mm-hmm. about the result. I'm going to just go in and have the best time I could possibly have. Right. Fun pitching because I've gone in. I've already done hours of work. There's nothing that's going to make this better or worse except for... And so I unplug that wire. Some version of that has to happen in, in all of these discussions. You just have to... This uh, unplug that fear mm-hmm. and just operate from a, a play and knowing your worth and not really caring so much about the result. That doesn't mean that you'd care about the result. No, no. It means that it just means that you know that you, you, you don't have full control over the result. Right. And so like you're taking that pressure off for yourself mm-hmm. and yeah. somewhere along the line, I did some version of that for myself and, and I try to do that whenever I can. And I, that's my best advice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I you love, know, if you go, yeah, I'm sorry. I was pitched a lot. Um, I pitched seven times this year already, you know? And so, <laughs> and so here's the thing that I've found is, um, most people have issues pitching because they're nervous. Yeah. That's what and I'm saying. You know why? And you know why you're nervous? Cause you're trying to memorize it. Mm-hmm. And, and that is the thing. And that's why, you know, Kev, we always say, you know, the best pitch is the one that sounds like you just told the story of, dude, have you seen this thing? Right. You know what I mean? And you just tell the story. And what I've found, whenever I start from my truth of, of my why, I'm relaxed. Yeah. Because I'm immediately like, dude, when I was seven years old, man, we tripped out on fucking, you know, I'll never forget the first time I saw Jet Magazine and there was Emmett Till's face, you know? I'm already there. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm bringing you into the thing and it doesn't slow me down anymore because it doesn't make me nervous anymore. Maybe because I used to be an actor too. I don't know. But I can literally get into that stage to where we just flow. And 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 a lot of time I'll just make bullet points on where on where things are in the pitch. I don't need to I don't need to, and you can bring it with you. People think they can't walk in. You don't want to sit there and be reading it, but it's nice to at least have a bullet to be like, oh that's the teaser, hmm. you know? Oh, that's the moment when, you know, you're going to say the hook. 
whatever the thing is that works for you, it's okay to have that sitting right there in front of you. And I'm talking about when you can walk in, of course. But it's even easier now because now you could do a you could do a um, a pitch and be reading the view. Right. Yeah. You really can have it right behind <laughs> the camera. I do it all the time. So yeah. So, right now, actually. <laughs> exactly. Just so, kidding. Anyway. I don't uh, need to jump off on on pitching, but um, yeah, no, uh, like, but but like yeah, but it, it 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 all relates back to what I think the original question is. It's just about fear and confidence, right? Like whatever that is. Like I think like you've got to do all the work that you need to do to to know your stuff, whatever you know, know your subject matter, know 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 what you're trying to get across. But at some point, you also have to like disconnect because you've if if you yeah if I mean in the, in the case of pitching, if you've done all your work. You, and it's all internalized and you're in that place right. Hilliard where I like to be too it's like where it's conversational like it's no longer a script you're not regurgitating something you're memorized it's more like you're just talking about the points that you you know in a very conversational way but like mm-hmm. that's the pitching version but the, in the room version about fear it's also like it's about letting go of result letting go you know, like, it's like, it's like, it's almost like people who believe in, in manifesting and higher power. It's like, you're letting go to a higher power, right? Like, like at some point you just have to let go of the result because you have no control over it. You have only control over your, your, what you're saying and your reaction. And I think if you, you do yourself a big service, if you can disconnect your, your desire for a particular result. Mm-hmm. But, but people think in a room, and this is the last thing I'll say, People think yeah. in the room that when you pitch, that it's supposed to land. Yeah. So when it doesn't land, you think, yeah. oh, my God, I'm going to be fired. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Nobody remembered that at all at the end of the day at all. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. You, 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 like, if you bomb in a room, you, you know who's going to be thinking about that for the next four days, including yourself? Nobody else. Nobody. Right. Except for yourself. Right. You know? Like, that's the thing I learned. Like I, I went on my first staff writing gig. I thought of, like for the first half of it, I thought I was getting fired every day, not because of anything anyone said to me It's because my crazy inner dialogue. Mm-hmm. Like, I was so paranoid about it. Like I really wanted to do well. I really wanted to, ex- instead of just thinking about what I was doing in the moment, if you, if right. you're just thinking about what you're doing in the moment and not letting go of result, the result will take care of itself. And sometimes the result is a, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Awesome. Um, thank you, gentlemen. I appreciate and thank you to Liz, although she's not here now thank with you, us. Thank but you. Thank you, gentlemen. Um, yeah, I really appreciate you coming out and talking. And Hilliard, we're going to have to have you back on to tell us all about uh, MC ha- your MC Hammer <laughs> days. I definitely <laughs> don't want to miss out on that. No problem. Let me know. Yeah, I'll, ju- I'll jump in. I'll jump in. Uh, and next Saturday at 4 p.m., uh, we'll be doing an episode on log lines and taking ideas. You're taking your ideas to stories uh, with Chris Chris Lockhart of WME and the Inside Pitch and TV writers Aaron Weiner and uh, Yelena War of WGA Virtual Mix. Uh, and in the coming weeks, we've got a bunch of great guests lined up to discuss topics including fellowship advice, uh, more manager one-on-ones, guide to staffing season, writing animated features in TV, breaking in as an assistant, meeting the showrunner, and lots more. So be sure to subscribe if you haven't already and follow us on Twitter so you don't miss out. We do these every Saturday. Um, thank you, uh, gentlemen. Um, stick around just for one minute after. But thank you guys all for listening. 